And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course. And it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. And we continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope. And we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX-11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX-10 now on sale and get RX-11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, Shopa. Hey. <laughs> How's it going? Good, good. Where are you? I'm in Queens right now. <laughs> Is that where you live? Yeah, I live in Queens. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm jealous. Are you an East Coast person? Yes, I am. I uh, born and raised in Jersey, but New oh. Yorker for over 20 years. So Oh, okay. I mean, they don't they don't still accept me as a New Yorker, but I kind of accept myself as one. <laughs> Why don't they accept you? Cuz I'm not a native. Um, oh. and it's Jersey, which yeah. is like Nobody wants to be associated with that, but it's the, it's closer than, you know, I feel like I'm more of a New Yorker than someone from Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> um, how is Queens? I've not, I haven't, I haven't spent much time in Queens. Myself. Queens is great. Um, I yeah. live on the border though. I, I live in Ridgewood, so it's like technically not as Queens as you can get, but it's, it's, it's Queens. I mean, I Glendale is just like, a five minute walk for me. Yeah. So I love it. I don't know. I mean, it re- just reminds me of living in Jersey in a weird way. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> you just went east or northeast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you've been there for 20 years. Were your sort of formative years spent in New York City? Yeah, I spent like all of my 20s in, in New York City. Um, I, yes and no. I mean, it was during um, 9-11, that era. 
so it was it was weird and sure. i was very poor <laughs> i remember like really struggling a lot with everything um but you know i still like i love the city i can't i've never lived anywhere else really right. and i don't really want to it's really odd i mean everyone else is like i want to live here and they do it where they move around a lot yeah and um i've traveled a lot of places before and i like the places i've seen but i can't picture myself living there i should have picked a cheaper place to live <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh i yeah and it's just odd like that and when you were uh i guess growing up in jersey did you come over to the city to see shows um i was a teenager mostly i remember skipping school I remember skipping school to watch train spotting. I remember mm. that was like, I got to go see train spotting now and I'm not going to school today. And yeah. we'd hang out at Washington Square Park. And yeah. yeah, you know, you'd flirt with a bunch of skaters and stuff and not touch the weird looking weed that people would try to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also late to the game on that too. I didn't smoke till much, much later in life. Um, yeah, the that whole thing was there and it was like, you know, mid to late nineties and it, it was cool. It was cool. And, um, obviously you play music. What was your musical education like? And I ask informally or formally, most of my musical education was going to shows, but I did have some schooling of, of sorts. Yeah. Um, I'd say the same. I was trained in classical Indian music from when I was six on vocals and uh, I had to play the harmonium because that's what you did uh, oh. in order to accompany the vocals. So I did that as a kid and it was really weird because it was the most non-American thing you could bring to the table, you know? So I like yeah. kept it, I kept that shit to myself. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, for a long time. And, and the harmonium's up the pump organ. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's a reed instrument, so it's closer to an accordion, but it's it's laid out like a pump organ. Is it a North Indian or South Indian scale or either or? It's male-female scale, and it's not not naturally always tuned to A440, which is standard tuning in Western music. So, right. so any time I've had to get a harmonium here, I've had to get it retuned to uh, oh, you have? play okay. it. Yeah, totally. Uh, but not so much there. Uh, but it's, um, they have these things called male, female scales, but it's really like using a capo on a guitar to change your key. Okay. Um, and you could do it like that, or you could just change the key like you would on a piano just with your hands, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, but I also learned piano when I was, a when I was a kid too. Okay. And yeah, so those were the instruments. So you, you were hiding your harmonium and, and, and you said sing, I mean, they accompany each other, right? You, yeah, you yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, like, yeah, I was hiding the singing, especially. I thought it was the most embarrassing thing to do. <laughs> I hated singing so much. And my mom actually made me take lessons after she caught me singing when I was very, very young. I like some 
I would just pick up stuff from the TV. So I remember watching like an infomercial with Willie Nelson and just like repeating mm -hmm. what he, what he said. Cause I, I loved Willie Nelson when I was a kid, yeah. especially cause he had the braids and yeah. he just looked so friendly. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just be in awe and then he would sing and I would just sing back. But I was always like attracted to other people's voices but I really didn't like doing it myself because then you have this element of performance and when you're shy and you're a total introvert, that's the last thing you want to do is perform in front of people. So, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so you were young when you were learning that instrument, but you carried it into at least one of your first kind of records or outputs beat the devil. You're playing harmonium. Yes, yeah. I'm playing harmonium when that band was a, was there. And then also for the first couple records, when I just went by my name, it's okay. harmonium on that too. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of just, just like went on to playing on keys. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, I've always wanted to learn how to play guitar. So it's just, I like to, you know, change it up. I like synths a lot too. But once you play keys, you can kind of translate into any kind of keyed instrument. Right. And it's you it's fine. It's not like a big learning curve. Guitar for me has been like complete hell. Like I I'm like, wow, there's like six keyboards and I don't understand this at all. And it's yeah. on strings and my fingers fucking hurt. And um, but I love it. I love it because yeah. you can hold it close to your body and you can play it anywhere. So, and I kind of like sucking at something. It, it, it's humbling. And it's also like, you remember where, when you started out on other things and right. the newness and, you know, not really knowing what the hell you're doing. And there's an excitement about that. There's a challenge about right. that. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. The guitar is equally as, as difficult for me. I mean, keyboards are tough, but I understand them better. Yeah. Yeah. Drum. I, I, I mean, I'm a drummer, so yes, obviously yes. drums are fine, but Guitar is always baffling, but I did, I have been trying to tackle it. And the one beauty of guitar, which I'm sure all guitars learned the first year they were playing it, but you can just sit there and, as you said, hold it and you can just drone or finger pick or something. It, it is an um, instrument that you can hold close and, and actually feel it. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to make it sound grand, whereas right. with piano, since I think is a different story, but but with piano, you have to do a lot with your hands to make that thing like stand out or make it fluid. And, you know, so it's a, right. it's a lot of like using your forearms and those types of muscles with guitar. It's like more, you have to be really strong with your fingers, um, which is its own challenge, but it doesn't take much. You could just hit that power chord and it just says everything. Whereas yeah. on piano, it, it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we're saying ultimately is playing guitar is easy. It's not. <laughs> nothing just, nothing just, is easy. That's what I've learned. I don't know how to play yeah. drums. I don't know how to play drums. I do like making beats. It's fun. Yeah, it sounds like you can tackle anything. Uh, it, it takes me a long time. And it, it's yeah. like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's curiosity. It really yeah. is. But I have moments where I'm like, I need to have a life. I can't just sit in a room and do this all day. Yeah. But um, 
Well, I think playing playing drums is really di- would be difficult, and you'd have to practice a lot. That that sounds hard to me. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 but yeah. There's so many different styles of drumming now that people like where it's like off kilter and the way people cut drums Mm. that they're not always on and people don't like stuff on time anymore. If you have enough intent, anyone can play drums. I disagree. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I think that's that comes from being Indian because so much of Indian music is based on drums. Yeah. And rhythm is like such a big deal to me. But that's yeah. like the one thing where I'm like, ah, oh, I can't keep time. I can't, I can't, you got to keep time. You got to keep time. Even if you like manipulate the count or like, cause yeah. not, not in Indian, like in tablas, it's not four, four at all. It's like, it's like nine over five. And then you have to count this it's crazy. Ins- it's it's insane. It's, it's insane, but it makes sense. It's still like, um, it hits your body. So I think that's what it is. I think if the drums don't hit my natural rhythm for me, I yeah. can't, I can't do it. I don't like, right. I don't like uh, abstract drumming. Right. And I don't like cymbals either. So that's my other oh, Singers yeah. don't like cymbals a lot <laughs> of times. <laughs> um, uh, what you were saying just kind of makes me, it makes me laugh thinking about like the 22 year old version of myself when I was really getting into world music and obviously playing drums. And I remember thinking, I'm going to learn tabla. It's so fucking complicated. I mean, I guess you I could have do it. at you this do point, but um, I don't know. It just makes me laugh. It's just, I love it, but it's so, so challenging. <laughs> <laughs> um. I kind of want to talk a little bit about the big picture of your of your career from you know to now from is was Beat the Devil kind of your first band that you Beat the played? Devil was a moniker I had when I would play solo at Sidewalk. Okay. And I would go to the Sidewalk Cafe every week and present these songs I would write because I didn't know how to write a song and there was a bunch of songwriters and that was the big challenge of being at the sidewalk cafe, but it was also a very safe place Mm -hmm. to present your ideas and be creative and play at like three in the morning. If you drew a late number or whatever the thing was, it was one of those nurturing environments I think I've ever been a part of. And then like a lot of curious young people, you want to be in a rock band. You don't want to do anti-folk. And that was in my head at the time. And then I did the thing where I started a band. And it's been like a love-hate relationship ever since. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, yeah. I've been uh, delving into all of your records now. I think the record that I first got into was probably Door Girl. Oh, cool. from our mutual friend Ryan Katner. Yeah. And um in the last week or so I've been digging into all your records and um the one kind of through line that that I see in my experience of of listening to all this stuff is your tunes are kind of a combination of this really direct and poignant uh depiction of uh, l- lyrically I'm saying 
life, really. And a lot of times it's life and real things that people don't want to talk about. And it's accompanied with dirty and pretty dark versions of punk and sleazy swing stuff and blues and all kinds of stuff. But it's that combination that is the through line that I see mostly with your words. And the magical thing about it is that it's in a way it's jarring, but I've I discovered that it's the kind of jarring that that keeps you interested and makes you want to really listen to your words and pay attention to what you're saying. And I, and it kind of makes me wonder is your expression is do you always have back to sort of intent? Have you always had intent or is sometimes your expression just simply expression? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know. I don't know how to, ex- I don't know how <laughs> sometimes what I'm writing is calculated and sometimes it takes on a life of its own. Yeah. Um, I've always been a writer, so that's how I, it's a outlet for me to express myself, especially because you really can't say a lot of these things. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you wish you could, you, you, people say it on TV and stuff, but you can't really do this in real life because other people have lives and things that they worry about and stuff. And I think it's just like something to get out of my system, but I, I, I really don't know. It's interesting trying to write stuff now after the last record, which was probably the most, it was like the darkest, I think I've lyrically ever gotten into, you know, and that was like, in my mind, it was complete hell to go there too. And then to have to present it to a band and then have to make light of it sometimes because it, you have to bring levity into this because it's like, right. oh which my is, God. Which yeah. you do. There is some, and that is the sort of metaphorical experience I have with your music. The The humor that is definitely there. You listen to it enough, the humor is, you just kind of go, oh, that's that's funny. You know? Yeah. You, you got a lot of tricks going on. Yeah. <laughs> It's not always fun stuff. but No, it's not always fun stuff. But, you know, I'm still a living, breathing human being. I'm still alive. And it's like, well, what else am I supposed to do? I, it already happened. All the things happened. You know, it's yeah. like, there's no, there's no turning back on that. I can't unsee what I just saw. But I can make right. fun of the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm asked to unsee it. And I, I refuse to do that. You know, I can yeah. make fun of that. And it's, I think that's probably like the motivation for me to write about things like that. Because it's like, who, you know, come on, it, let's just, let's just say it like it is. And, yeah. and you know, it, it doesn't come off as this like postmodern pessimistic thing. I can't really put my finger on it, but it doesn't, to me, that's a little bit cliche just to be pessimistic. It's mostly a guy thing too. Pessimistic dudes are often not dealing with what they're, you know, considering or talking about. And um, there's something about your tunes that just simply aren't just being sarcastic or pessimistic. Oh, well, that's really cool. I like yeah. that you that you see it that way. I'm, n- I'm never sure. Because like, also, I mean, being born and raised in Jersey, <laughs> and then being an, a Northeast person, a lot of the, the ways in which we just speak on an mm. everyday basis is really harsh. And I've been told that many times and I, I don't even, I'm not even aware of it, you know? Right. Uh, but 
it's nice to hear someone say that I'm not being pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. I, I'd like to say maybe maybe you are, but I think it's yeah. you've heard enough of just straight pessimism, and I think it's just not as simple as that. Yeah, I I agree. Sure. And back to your most recent record that came out last year, Portrait of a Lady. It does seem to be coming from somewhere specific. Where were you when you started working on that record? Oh, wow. Um, well, I can tell you the story of how I thought of it or was inspired to write about it because I never wanted to touch that subject um, at all. And I was asked to uh, be a backing singer for Andrew Bird when he played at Carnegie Hall. And this was mm. like five, six years ago. And it was a total honor. And I, I was just like, wow, I can't believe I even get to do this. This is nuts. And during the sound check, I couldn't hit this octave jump. And I was just like beating myself up in the head. I was like, you've got to hit this. I mean, you're singing at Carnegie Hall. And, <laughs> you know, get it together. You got to do this. And uh, so I took a walk afterwards before the show to clear my head. And I went to MoMA which was really close by and they were holding a Nan Golden exhibit like right then and there. So I walked in to see the Nan Golden exhibit. The first portrait I see is her face beat up that famous oh, portrait. Yeah. I that know she, that. And yeah. I just looked at it and I was like, I got to write about my, my experiences. Like I just have to, because it was the most powerful thing. I had ever seen and it was just such a weird thing that that's when I was like I have to make this record so I started thinking about making this record like on the spot then had to wow. go back to Carnegie Hall and like sing this thing I hit it yeah. man I hit it you I did? hit the yeah. jump I hit the yeah. jump I, I still remember the expression on his face when he watched me <laughs> hit it and he's like yeah she hit it and it was it was great but I don't know it's just it's just really weird like that 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 thing that people always say about the importance of art and how much it hit like those moments when when art actually hits you like in a in yeah. a very solid way that was that was definitely like probably a really major uh one for me yeah 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 and that record um touches on a lot of things but it it seems to have specific reference to your personal experiences and i don't think that any of your records had been like that up to then. Is that right? No. I mean, even Door Girl, I mean, they are stories from when I was working or when I, I still work the door, but it's like when I work the door, what do I see in front of me? But I'm yeah. removed from the situation and an observer and a yeah. commentator on something that's happening that has nothing to personally to do with me. Maybe right. there's some reflection here and there, but it's not like... It's not that, you know, it doesn't run that deep. Right. Yeah. And with Portrait of a Lady, it was like, oh, I I know about this. And I will t I'm going to share with you like what I went through and how ridiculous and heartbreaking and harrowing and messed up it was. And I just, yeah, I just went there. But it was really difficult to write. I did not, um, I did not have a lot of, uh, fun going back there 
But mm-hmm. I think that's where the humor started coming back because I had to make myself laugh to keep writing it. You know, yeah. I had to make those little, you know, digs and jabs in, in, yeah. the, in the writing in order to make it even appeal to me. So that was, that was, uh, it, that was an interesting experience for sure. Congratulations. Yeah. You've made a great record and you made it through oh, it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we all got to see the fruits of it. Um, I had a thousand questions about all songs, um, but I'm just going to stick with one. And the song Bootlickers of the Patriarchy, are you referring to one particular bootlicker? No, I'm talking to a whole clan of bootlickers. Yeah. The bootlicker can be anything. I, originally, okay. it was about Susan Collins was the person I was thinking of because she had held okay. a press conference after um, they had uh, gotten... Um, Kavanaugh. So they had the trial for Kavanaugh, who's a total dumbass and a rapist. And she's just like, well, I will tell you what I think at 3 p.m. And she had like this whole audience. And I'm like, man, you're you're a fucking bootlicker. You're yeah. a bootlicker. You know, she's brutal. Yeah. yeah, she's brutal. But it also can convey like, you know, the woman who stole your man, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some, you know, the lady who doesn't, you know, like other women. It's like a lot of different women. Are, it could, it could have that. I mean, I think not every woman is a feminist, and that's something you just kind of have to concede to. Mm-hmm. Or um, they are, or they consider themselves feminists, but they have viewpoints that make women's lives more difficult and that's that's an interesting twist on that too right that uh, is yeah yeah. well i'd like to play bootlicker is that cool with you yeah all right here we go
That song is an exact two-parter. Yeah, that was a fun one to write. And it was very quick. I remember that one came very, very quick. Really? Yeah, yeah. But a lot of those songs on that album did not come so fast. So that, I, was, I was grateful for that one. Yeah. And do you have a typical way that you write? Do you do you start by yourself? Do you start in the studio? Um, I always write by myself. I think sometimes the lyrics come before the music and sometimes the music comes before the lyrics. But I have always in my brain, like I always have like a bunch of riffs already mm-hmm. like rotating and I'm like, what can I do with this? You know? So I always have this little bank of riffs in my head that I I start I kind of think about a lot. And then see what I can do. I've noticed as I get older, the writing becomes harder and harder to do. I don't know why that is. Maybe I'm thinking too much about like, you know, how it should be. Or I think when you're young, you just kind of do stuff and not think so much. I think I'm losing losing that a little bit. And I think a little too hard. Yeah. Maybe you're just temporarily losing it. Yeah. (laughs) Come back in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. That could be it too. When you go into the studio with your songs, do you typically have a band or the band there or do you start tracking? It sounds like you can play most instruments. It took a while for me to get to that point. Um, But for these sessions, it was a mixture. So I would, I would just dictate how I wanted stuff played and then I get a lot of argument back, uh, which was tough. But I eventually pushed it to the point where I was happy with what came out. It was yeah. also like the first Portrait of Lady was the first album where I gave a very skeletal arrangement as to what I wanted, so we could fill it out with the synths post uh, post live recording. So that right. was the other thing with that too was like a lot of the synth stuff was just done afterwards and i also learned that i don't need a whole lot of people in the studio um Mm -hmm. i've always had a band in that format thinking that the band had to be in the studio and that's just not the case anymore and it's much easier to have less people in the studio so post portrait of a lady the singles tracks that i had done but also straight man's dream was mostly Uh just me and like my co-producer Jeff Berner, who's just like one of the greatest musical partners I think I've ever come across. He's just really great. Um, I just read the lyrics to straight man's dream, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun one to write too. Yeah. But it's a, it was a slow, like I started off solo and then I did the band thing and then I'm starting to kind of minimalize everything again. But it also is a sign of the times because it's expensive to have big bands. And that's a reality that we're facing now, sure. you know. Yeah. And you do tour a decent amount, if not a significant amount, as far as I can tell. Um, when you hit the road, do you, do you try to get a skeletal band or do you... Just do whatever is necessary. I've done both band touring and solo touring. Um, solo touring is frightening because you're on the stage by yourself and you're going to have to see, yeah. make it work. And oh one of the solo tours I had was opening for Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in Europe, 
which was absolute terror because I'm playing these arenas and like nobody wants to listen to me and I'm there by myself. And it was just, it was a huge educational experience for me. It made me a way stronger musician having gone through it, but it was, it was so scary. What did you play when you did that? The harmonium. Oh, you did? Oh. It was just me on harmonium because that's what he requested. So I was like, all right, I'll just do that. And then yeah. we'll see how it works out. And it was it was frightening. But it, sometimes it works. Sometimes I, I think I could have done a better job. But hey, when you're going through it, you have no idea what's, what's going to happen. No. You're just in it at the moment you're in it. I have no <laughs> experience doing that. Um, but I would say when I have to do things that are scary, sometimes I make put something in my head to give me a little bit of confidence, which is kind of a way out. Like if shit just went south in the middle of your set, or you could have said, hey, Nick asked me to do this. Oh my God. <laughs> always have, have that in your back pocket. Uh, yeah, I should And if just... it's the truth, it's even easier to say. Yeah, you can say it with yeah. such confidence. Oh, it's, wow, man. Think about that. I mean, it's in hindsight, yeah, sure. I could have saved myself a lot of tears backstage. Oh, wow. But that's actually playing solo, playing completely solo is one of the hardest things. I've, I think it's still challenging to this day. It's not something that you, it's not like riding a bike. Yeah. It's like you have to keep doing it in order to be good at it. You can't really just stop doing it. Cause I've done it. I've stopped doing it at, time periods and I'll, I'll come out and try it again. And I'm like tanking. It, it's yeah. so easy to mess that up. It's so easy to tank it and fail. And then you kind of have to get back up and do it again. But right. that was, that's the one thing I think musically that I still see as like a huge challenge to do. Playing with a band is a little easier because you have a say, little safety nets to fall back on. You don't have sure. to think as hard when you have a drummer. That's a very simple, you know, thing when you're if you don't have to keep time and someone else is doing it that makes life a lot easier yeah yeah my only experience of it is is nightmares that's my <laughs> closest that i've ever gotten it's just like oh i i'm gonna play guitar in front of people oh my god oh just nightmares only. i've had tour nightmares before have you had tour you nightmares have? before i always Probably. have this yeah i've had this one where i get into a cab and I'm trying to get to the venue and it's like the cab is riding around in an MC Escher style, like mm -hmm. through the buildings and stuff. And I'm like, when are we going to get to the venue? And it keeps taking me to this barbecue joint that I don't want to be at because <laughs> I need to play the show. And that's something that's, that's a reoccurring dream I have. That's interesting. Especially when I'm on tour that we're yeah. just, I like missed the show. We're not going to get there on time or yeah. some crazy, you know, freak out moments. Yeah, I guess mine is the reoccurring one is just trying to get to the show on time. Yeah, yeah. And everything's like wading through mud and whatever's happening is preventing you from getting there. Stress. Yeah, get to the show on time. Um, Well, you told me you might have a tour story or two. Man, <laughs> there's okay. Do you want to hear about body mutilation or do you want to hear about the time I finally quit doing coke <laughs> oh gosh man 
That's <laughs> uh, let's see. The time you quit doing coke. Okay, okay. So I was in my late 20s and we were going on a tour for like a week uh, in the Midwest and the Rust Belt and stuff. And the first stop was Buffalo and it was like early springs, it was freezing cold and it was freezing rain in Buffalo. And we played this great show, went to an after party and it was, they made this drink where they mixed like Vicks and like rum and vodka. Like it was like a really even more messed up Long Island iced tea. Mentholated. Yeah, and they called it a bleeding shlomi. <laughs> yeah. I was just, I was like, whatever it is, I'm, I'm knocking it back. We taught the dog at the party how to sing "Who Let the Dogs Out." It was like, why the accomplishment? It was pretty wild and fun. And somebody had the idea at this party to go see Rick James's uh, headstone at the cemetery because he's buried in Buffalo. And we were all like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. We do a couple of bumps and then we get outside in this freezing rain and we're running through the cemetery and I'm not an athletic person. I never have been, but all of a sudden I'm climbing a gate. Mm -hmm. I don't know where those superpowers came from. I do. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, it was like mud up to our, you know, uh, waste or whatever, just diving into this grass and trying to find it, and we couldn't find it. And we had Google Map Quests back in those days, mm-hmm. and so someone looked it up on Google Map Quest, and we found the he- we found the headstone, and it was it was like a miracle, and it was very like I mean that was Rick James's headstone. It had this etching of him with his tongue sticking out, and you're just like, oh that is Rick. yeah, it totally was. And somebody just busts out these fat lines on the on the headstone, and we we're just snorting it, thinking we we're so hot, so amazing, so young. And the next day, my voice is completely out. This is the first night of this tour, and I have no voice. Oh my god! And I'm I we are fucked because that is the money maker. That's why you know that's why people are buying tickets or whatever. They don't want to hear an instrumental band. They want to hear me sing, and I got nothing. And that was the moment where I was like, I'm never touching it again. And I just remember like having like, oh, never again, never again. I don't know how I even like. I sounded like Peter Brady from the you know the Brady Bunch. I it's like I you went through the it. show. Oh yeah, I mean I didn't know about steroid shots back then either. Oh, that's I, I just worked, right. Ugh, I just had to go through it, and it was. I was embarrassed. I was really disappointed in myself. I mean, that was a great night. I have to say that was a great night. <laughs> I right. loved it for that. But it also was like, you can't, you can't be doing this. You have to take yourself seriously. Yeah. You know, you got to pace yourself on tour. I mean, it sounds like, as you said, you had a great night. Yeah. And you got to learn a lesson. Yes. Yes. Some people, some people saw a show with Peter Brady singing, yeah. but. And they were like, why is she, why is she such a big deal? Why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> How embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a good lesson that the universe taught me. For yeah. sure. Is there a recording of it out there somewhere? I bet. I bet. 
I'm going to play it for you right now. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I would never do that. Oh, man. Well, do you have any um, shows or touring for the rest of the year or over the winter? Well, I'm playing a solo. I've been playing a lot of solo shows actually lately. Oh. Um, just to, because I'm writing, a, I'm writing new material right now and I have to break oh, it. Oh, you in. are? Mm-hmm. Cool. And that's one of the ways I do it is I just got to play it myself before I bring it to anybody. Yeah. And so I know, I know what the song is and what I want to hear out of it and what the pacing is and stuff. And so I'm playing uh, my last solo show of this year at Barbez with Esther Ballant, who mm-hmm. um, is an incredible violinist and singer. And she was also in uh, Stranger Than Paradise, the Jim Jarmusch movie. She's, oh. the, she's the actress in there. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. She's God, a lovely person, wonderful lady. So she and I are doing a show at Barbez on the 29th of November. Mm-hmm. And I'm also playing keys uh, for my friend's record release, which is a lot of fun. I like playing on the side. I don't like always being in the, in the center. So, yeah. uh, and that's Kyle Avalon and he's having a record release show uh, at this venue called Sleepwalk in New York on November 19th. So that's going cool. on for November. And then uh, next year I'm, I'm, I have a new lineup for my band and um, we're, I'm going to start playing band shows again uh, cool. in January. Yeah, are me and Ryan Katner in this new lineup? Do you want to be? <laughs> I hit you guys yes. up. I should hit you guys up. Yeah. Oh my God. That would be so much fun to jam sometime. <laughs> now you put it in my head and I'm yeah, like, why not? We should I would do love this. To do it. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, if you're in town, you should come out. It's January 20th at TVI. Okay. And it's the first full band show I'm playing in over a year. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be a good time. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, it was it was great to finally meet you after um, Yeah. all Ryan's constantly talking about you on about three of the two years uh, we've been on. Same the, the other way around. Yeah. Oh, good. Very cool. And good luck with the the new record. I can't wait yeah, to hear it. Yeah, thanks. I can't wait. I can't wait till I'm done <laughs> writing it. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait till it's out there either. All right. Um, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, again, it was great to finally meet you. And um, yeah. I hope to see you out there somewhere. Someday. Yeah, same, same. I'd like to see a play with Man Man and Mr. Heavenly. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Good time. All right. Take care. Yeah, you too, man. Bye. Bye. Them with a knife. The 
rats and the roaches crawling out in droves straight out of the sewage pipes. Sanitation may have even been on strike. It was a night when someone called the EMT, the police, and the fire department. EMT, police, the fire department, EMT, police, the fire department, EMT, police, the fire department. 